0: We just started a series in Colossians two Sundays ago, and we're on verses 9 to 14 today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. As Paul opens his letter to the Colossian Christians, he reports, first of all, that in verses 3 to 8, that he and Timothy are praying for these believers without ceasing. And as they do... They are always thanking God for the effects that the gospel had in their lives. What the gospel worked all over the world, the gospel also worked in them. The hope of the gospel seized onto their hearts and it bore the fruits of faith and love. And as it happened with them, so it has happened with you and me. That is, all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Nearly 2,000 years removed from the context in which Paul wrote, the gospel, the same gospel, had the same effects which only the gospel can have. And what we're going to see today is that the effects of the gospel continue in our lives. God is still at work in us. The gospel that immediately bore the fruit of faith in us will continue to bear fruit in your life all the way to glory. The power that transferred you into Christ will also transform you in Christ. Just as there is pardon in the good news of Jesus Christ for all your sins, so there is power. There is power that will not fail to sanctify you, to change you, to make you like the Lord Jesus. So that's what we're going to see today. In verses 3 to 8, we saw Paul's continual thanksgiving for the effects that the gospel had. In verses 9 to 14, we see his prayer for the continued effects that the gospel will have in all believers. Just as the pardon does not fail for all who believe, neither does the power of the gospel fail to change us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His help. Father, I thank you for this word and I thank you for the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has unfathomable power, immeasurable power. And I pray, Father, that we would realize not only in our minds, but in our hearts and in our lives practically, the power of God toward us who believe. And I pray, Father, that if there is one here who is not presently today experiencing that power in their life to change, to progress in the Christian life, I pray that there would be new conviction and new help and a new work of God in them. And if there is one here, Father, who has not received by faith the pardon of God for all their sin, I pray that they would put faith in Jesus Christ, turn from their sin, turn to Christ, and be saved. Saved from the penalty of sin. I thank You and praise You for the work that You're going to do. And I pray that, Lord, You would give to me Your Holy Spirit because on my own, I'm completely inadequate. I need Your Spirit. Please fill me. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's read this passage together, please. Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14. Paul writes, And so from the day we heard, that is, the day we heard the report of your faith in Jesus, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This morning, what I want to uh, study and explore with you is the key to gospel growth, the goal of gospel growth, and then finally, four marks of gospel growth. So what we're studying and exploring is gospel growth together. And you can see right away what the key to gospel growth is in, in verse number 9. We'll get to that in a moment. Are you growing by the power of the gospel? Does the gospel that had an effect in you, a powerful effect, bearing the fruits of faith and love, is it still bearing fruit and is it still increasing in you today? That's what Paul's prayer is. And that is to be the reality of the Christian life that we experience all the way to go- glory, gospel growth. There are so many Christians who look back at a conversion and the ensuing days of that as the, as the time where they were really warm toward the Lord Jesus and where they had a, a real zeal that took over their lives for Jesus. And then as life wore down, their zeal wore down, and they don't have that same warmth and zeal anymore. First of all, I want to urge you, myself too, to examine our lives for the true power of the gospel in us. Because the profession of faith that does not include the practices of faith is not true saving faith. Faith without works is dead. So we are saved by faith alone. But we are not saved by a faith that is alone. That faith turns to love and to the fruits of the Spirit and all of that. We are born again. We've been made new. To be changed. To be conformed to Christ. So the gospel has that effects in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So... You know, a lot of people, if they were honest, they would be forced to admit that their Christian life has been just a flash in the pan. But the Christian life that is a flash in the pan is neither Christian nor life. It's neither one of those. So examine your hearts and ask yourself, is Jesus my Lord today, this day? Is he ruling me or am I ruling me? Is Jesus your Savior this day? Are you trusting him today? I'm not asking you to look back to a time where you did that, where you prayed that prayer, where you called upon him, where you trusted in Jesus. But is he your Lord today? And are you trusting him to be your Savior from all your sins today? Who rules you? Do you see the power of the gospel working in your life? And bearing fruit. Now I, I don't want to be heavy handed with that. I don't want to um discourage someone who should not be discouraged or discomfort someone who is really in Christ. But if you are not in Christ, if you abide in the pew and at the same time abide in sin, I don't want you to be reassured that yes, I am right with God. Because the Bible does not indicate that. That assurance that we might have doesn't come from God. It is from listening to ourselves or listening even to the adversary. If we are in Christ, we abide in Christ, and there is fruit in our lives. Now, if you are in Christ this morning, wherever you may be in the Christian life, this is what I want you to have encouragement in today. If you are in Christ, wherever you are in the course of the Christian life, there is more for you. There is more for you whether you have just come a little ways or you are close to the end in the Christian life, no matter how far you have come along the way, there is more for you. Whether your knowledge of God is childlike or mature, there is more for you. Whether your faith is weak or it is strong, there is more for you. There is more for you in Christ. Because the gospel assures us that not only are we getting to glory, but we are growing all the way there. That is the power of the gospel. Not only does it transfer you into the kingdom, but the gospel also transforms all of the kingdom citizens. Let's look at verse 9 first of all. He says, Again, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, there's a couple things I need to get to before I get into the heart of that verse. First of all, we can't miss the application to pray as Paul prayed. I mean, do you find, if you're honest about your prayer life, would you find that your prayers are nothing like Paul's? That you just have a completely different set of priorities in prayer compared to his priorities. But don't you desire the ongoing effects of the gospel, like what Paul prays in verse 9, for your church? Don't you desire those effects of the gospel to be real in your family? Don't you think that we should pray these things? One thing you'll notice all through Paul's prayers is that what is missing is a priority of material and physical concerns. And I'm not saying that those things are not important because they are. Very clearly, Jesus taught us to pray for our daily bread. We are to pray for those who are sick, who are uh, struggling with financial uncertainties and insecurities and all of that. We are to pray along those lines, but always in a spiritual light. And I believe that one of the reasons that Paul is emphasizing always the spiritual and very little the physical is because, you know, in the end, none of us can help the physical wasting away of our bodies. As Paul said in Corinthians, the outer self is wasting away. We can't finally prevent the loss of our physical lives. But even on the very last day of your life, you can be stronger in heart and mind and soul than you have ever been before. Because while the outer self wastes away, the inner self is renewed day by day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why Paul prays as he does. And so we should pray. We should make these things the priorities of our prayers as well. And I also want you to notice how bold Paul's prayers are. They're huge prayers. Look at the just the preponderance of all language. This is rather consistent throughout the letter that he talks so much of whole and full and fullness and all and every and so on. But there's a a real heavy dose of that Uh, the concentration of that language in this prayer. So look at it. Verse 9, Paul prays that they would be filled with knowledge in all spiritual wisdom. To be, in verse 10, fully pleasing to him, so to bear fruit in every good work. In verse 11, he prays that they would be strengthened with all power for all endurance. The way that Paul prays here, there is nothing humanly doable. This is all in God territory. So that when the answer to prayer comes, we can't explain it or attribute it to anything but the power of God. And I want to encourage you in that way too. Do your prayers go into that territory Where, which God alone covers. We should. We should pray such bold, huge prayers, asking for all, asking for every, asking for the full, always asking for more that can only be attributed to God. I want my prayers to reach, like Paul's prayers reach. Don't you? Why should we settle for less? Verse 9 again, he prays that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This first thing, this is the key to gospel growth. And I, I'm drawing this argument and, and putting that to you because of the context, because of the grammar and all of that, the way he puts his phrases together. This is the key to gospel growth, being filled with with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, first of all, we need to answer the question, what does he mean by the will of God? What he doesn't mean, he's not talking about being filled with the knowledge of God's special, specific plans as they are tailored just for my life. That's not what he is talking about. Rather... Paul is praying that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. This is so important. It's so important if you're going to understand the the argument of uh, this passage, uh, what Paul is uh, reaching for in his prayers, okay? So, So get this. He is praying that believers would be filled with the knowledge of God's will concerning his son. It is his will for Jesus. It's his purpose for his people and his purpose for the nations and his purpose for the cosmos, all of creation in Jesus. Now, there's a a number of ways that we know this. First of all, he spells out the will of God concerning Christ in verses 15 to 23, which we don't have time to get to, but I would like to take you to Ephesians chapter 1, okay? Do you understand that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible? Scripture sheds light on Scripture. So the best way we can understand a single passage is in the context of the whole. But the best single commentary in the Bible on Colossians is Ephesians. Ephesians and Colossians are remarkably parallel, and the one letter sheds light on the other. So in Ephesians chapter 1, we find out what this will of God concerning Jesus is. And you know what? We actually, we sang about it earlier. The mystery of His will, that Christ should be the head of all. I'm getting ahead of myself. Couldn't help it. Okay, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7, end of verse 7 to 10. Here's Paul revealing the wondrous will of God. God, Paul says, at the end of verse 7, lavished on us the riches of His grace. For in all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will. What is it? What is His will? According to His purpose. Just get to it, Paul. Hurry up. Which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. I'm chomping at the bit. To unite. Here is his will. This is his plan concerning Christ. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. That is God's will. That is his plan set forth in Jesus. To unite everything in the creation under the lordship of Jesus, God's will is that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, reign supreme. And that's what we sang about the mystery of his will, that he, Jesus, should be the head of all. God's purpose to fulfill. This is God's will. From the opening notes of Genesis to the very last of Revelation, this is where the Bible is tracking. And this is what it's disclosing. This is what history is for. This is what all the works of God are for. From the first creation to the new creation. Everything God works and everything He wills is part of the greater will and work of God to subsume everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the knowledge of this will is to fill us in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Meaning, this is knowledge that is not from the earth, and it cannot be naturally understood, but this is from heaven, revealed not by the flesh, but by the Spirit of God. These things are spiritually discerned. And Paul prays that we would be filled with the knowledge of this. And it's the key to gospel growth. Knowing what all of history is for. Knowing where the Bible is headed. Knowing what God's purpose is for in all things. It is to bring everything in the fullness of time under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. How is is this the key to gospel growth? Well, first first of all, let's just pause a moment and say that this knowledge is not an end in itself. And we know that just to be generally true about any knowledge. Knowing is not an end in itself. It has to result in some change. It has to result in some action. So the goal of being filled with this knowledge, which is the greatest knowledge, he says in verse 10, being filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to, those three little words reveal the purpose of being filled with the knowledge of God's will concerning Jesus. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. That's the purpose of the knowledge. That's what the the knowledge is key to. Here is the goal. The goal is walking worthily of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. You are meant to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in Jesus so that your whole life, your heart and your soul and your mind and strength would be aimed in the same direction as the heart of God. All of your loves and hatreds too, all of your aspiring, all of your purposing, all your dreaming, desiring, all of it, it's so that it would run in the same direction after God. It's wanting what God wants. It's serving God's purpose. It's being conformed to Him, walking worthily of Him. Now, every single one of us knows that we fall short of the goal of our growth. We fall short of walking fully, worthily of the Lord. But this is why Paul is praying along these lines. Because for every single believer, there is more for you. There is walking more worthily today than yesterday to be fully pleasing to the Lord. So the key to gospel growth is being filled with the knowledge of God's will concerning His Son, which encompasses everything. His purpose for all of history, the first creation, new creation, all of it. Bring everything under the Lordship of Jesus. The goal of being filled with that knowledge is that we would walk worthy of the Lord. Now, there's four more actions that we're going to see. Four marks of gospel growth. And these come in the form of... Pull out your old grammar education, if you had one. (laughs) The the next four actions are all participles. Look for the actions in here. doesn't include the word pleasing. The actions that end with ing, and those are all participles. And they show us what this gospel growth and what walking worthy of the Lord actually looks like in life. Okay, so uh, one of these, it's not my favorite translation that we have in, in verse 10. So you have, here's the first two. How do we walk worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God? And then really at the end of verse 10, we should have a comma and not a period. And the next part should, if it was translated literally grammatically, it would say, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And then fourth, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So these four participles are the four, show us the four marks of gospel growth. And you could just put them like this. We are to grow in the works of God, grow in the knowledge of God, grow in the power of God, and in giving thanks to God. Okay, the four marks of gospel growth. Notice, first of all, as we look at these, the first two marks at the end of verse 10, where he talks about bearing fruit and increasing, doesn't this sound like creation? As Paul is talking about the new creation and its effects in us, the, the spiritual thing that Paul is praying for echoes what God commanded physically in the first creation when he told the man and the woman, Be fruitful and multiply. And now that is shown to be the work of God in the new creation, that we are fruitful and multiply. Uh, Also, I want you to see, look back at verse 6. Remember the first several verses where Paul is giving thanks? He is giving thanks for the effects that the gospel had in them. Right? And what does he say in verse 6? The gospel came to you and it bore fruit and it increased. Now look back down at the end of verse 10. He prays that continually the gospel would have the effects of bearing fruit and increasing. Which, you know, you just see these things and how it all fits together and I get excited. Okay, let's look at the first thing. We are to bear fruit in every good work. We're to grow in good works. And that means not only that there are more good works today than there were yesterday, but it also means that there is an inward change too. There's an inward growth. Because, you know, he says, isn't it kind of strange, he says, bearing fruit in every good work like the implication would be there are good works that don't bear fruit. And we know we can do the right things, the good works, for the wrong, bad reasons. But as we grow in bearing fruit in every good work, less and less is that true. Less and less is it more about me and more and more it is about God. Less and less are the good works out of my flesh and more and more are they out of the power of the Holy Spirit. Less and less are the good works a pretense for my praise and more and more they are for God's praise. Less and less for my good and more and more about others' good. And this is the effect of the gospel in us. This is how we grow. There's that inward change that results in outer change. So we bear fruit in every good work. The second thing, the second mark of gospel growth is increasing in the knowledge of God. The growing Christian delights in growing in the knowledge of God. Is there anything better in your life than knowing your God? Is there anything better? Is there anything that brings you more Biblical happiness, joy, than knowing your God. I have to caution you, as I always do, not to separate knowledge from feeling. Because a lot of people do separate knowing about God from passion for God. And that's wrong. It is wrong. How can we know our God apart from the theology and the doctrine of the word of god we can't otherwise it's going to be of the flesh and not of the spirit who breathed this word we must know we must know the facts of god in order to have feeling for god to feel deeply you must know deeply now this is going to look different from uh, going to look different for a christian child or youth, than it will look for a Christian adult. Because obviously a child doesn't know deeply, right? They have a child's knowledge. So how can a child who is in the Lord have fullness of happiness in the Lord without that deep, deep knowledge of the Lord? Well, I'll tell you, because their capacity to know God is full. Their capacity to know God is full. And a year from now, as they continue their walk in the Lord and their faith matures, their capacity to know God will be greater. So you know why that so many Christian adults are are bored with doctrine and theology and bored with the Word of God? And maybe they wouldn't quite say bored, but... And you know why um, there are so many Christian adults who have just lost that sense of wonder because I'll tell you why. Their capacity to know God grew and the content of their knowledge didn't keep pace. Knowledge is the key. Knowing God is the key. So I'm not talking about just knowing about Him, obviously. What we have in the mind must be seized onto with the heart. But knowing God is the key. So... Grace abounds. Have you neglected study of the Word? Neglected digging in and meditating on the Word? Grace abounds. Wherever you are, childlike in your knowledge or mature, there is more for you. There is more for you. Knowledge of God may increase. Be a Christian. Grow in knowledge. The third mark of gospel growth is growing in the power of God. Verse 11, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Man, Paul gets after it. It's not a little power he prays for. He prays that they would be strengthened with all power. And it's not human or earthly might that he prays for, but It is according to God's glorious might. Now, again, here's a a case where Ephesians chapter one sheds light on Colossians chapter one. Do you know how great the power of God is, is toward you as a believer? This is what Paul says in Ephesians one. He prays there that we would know the greatness of God's power toward us. Listen to this. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And Paul says in Ephesians 1, it is immeasurably great power toward you. That power which God wielded when he raised his son from the dead and exalted him over all, that's his power toward you. That's the power that Paul is praying that you and I would be strengthened with for all endurance and patience with joy. Enduring itself is good. Enduring patiently is even better. And enduring patiently with joy is better still. And that is what the power of God is toward us, if we will be strengthened with it. You're going to have to endure a lot of things as a Christian. And it's quite possible that because you are a Christian, you will have to endure more hardship than what people in the world will have to endure for this life. Because there are going to be tests of your faith in pain and tests of your faith in pleasures. There's going to be tests of your faith because of persecutors from without the church. And there are going to be tests of faith from human precepts, as Paul calls them in Colossians, that are within the church. That is, they are according to the world and not according to the Word of God. All of these tests of faith, and many of them because you are a Christian, but by the power of God, being strengthened according to His glorious might, we may have all endurance and patience with joy. How do we grow in strength? Let me just say quickly, know your God. Know Him. We gather together as one body in the Lord and we feed and we drink from Christ. We are nourished in Him together in the Word. We are nourished in Christ and we grow and we increase in strength and power. So let me go over these first three things very quick. We were saved not to be self-serving, but to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2. We were saved not to be ignorant and not to be silly. But so that the eyes of our hearts being enlightened, we would know our God. Ephesians 1. And we were saved not to be spineless. And as one author said, evangelifish. No, evangelical jellyfish, evangelifish. We were saved not to be spineless, but that we would have resurrection power to endure all things with joy. And fourth, we were saved not to be cynical, but that we would pour forth praise to the God who has qualified us for the inheritance of the saints in the light of the kingdom of his Son. That's the last thing. In verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Praise to God that he has done it, pours forth from those who who know what it is, He is done. The more you know it, the more you know the gospel, the more thankful you will be. And this is the fourth mark of gospel growth. You know, it's always a danger that you and I take the good news of Jesus Christ for granted. But is that the case with you? I mean, as you go through your Christian life, assuming that you have been a believer for some time, haven't you found that the more mature you have become, and the closer to Jesus you have got, don't you find that you know better than ever what's wrong with you? Don't you just know that in and of yourself, apart from God, you deserve only judgment and mercy, not at all? So aren't you more thankful than ever that God has done it? He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This, I I was planning on covering verses 13 and 14, but I don't know that I am going to have time. But uh, let me just read these verses. Paul says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What did it take? What did it take to disqualify you from the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of God? Not even one single solitary sin of yours, but just one single solitary transgression by Adam in the garden was enough to disqualify you and me from the the eternal inheritance. You add on to that all of our sin. And obviously we could never in ourselves be qualified for this great inheritance. But God sent His Son for us that in Him we would be redeemed, freed from every sin and all guilt, forgiven of every last sin. He redeemed us at the cross. There, all the debt was paid. The cup of God's wrath was drunk dry to the last drop. Justice was done. That all the guilt would be gone for those who trust in Jesus Christ. What would you answer if on the last day you found yourself before God and the question was put to you, what qualifies you to share in this inheritance? It's not us. If I was to answer that question this day, I would I would say from Colossians, I don't qualify me. You qualified me. You quali- Already you qualified me in your son, in all your mercy, in Jesus. You qualified me. Do you remember when you were a kid and you were at the amusement park or the fair or something and you wanted to go on the big kids ride? And you eyed that little wooden character with the line coming out of the top of his head. And the, the, the sign said, if you haven't, if you're not taller than this line, you don't get on the ride. You remember like, uh, do I qualify this year? I hope so. And maybe, maybe it took some of us a little longer than others to finally qualify for the big kids ride. And you may remember being disappointed at the realization that you didn't qualify. We don't have to measure up to qualify to the measure of divine perfection anymore. Because Jesus measures up. He came for you. He lived for you. Not only did He die in your place, He lived in your place with absolute, perfect, spotless righteousness. And He died for you. The absolute, spotless, perfect sacrifice. God, accepting the perfection of His Son in life and in death, raised Him up, gloriously triumphant over sin and death and hell. And now, by grace, that is freely, apart from any work in you, by grace, through faith alone, you are in Jesus. Christ qualifies. And in Him, you qualify. What I mean is, His righteousness, and no less than that, is your righteousness in Christ. His qualifications, and no less than that, are your qualifications in Christ. So you can no more fall short and no more come under the standard of divine perfection than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Himself. This is the gospel. This is the good news for all who believe. And it's this gospel that not only pardons you of all your sin, but is the power to change and to grow with gospel growth. What is the gospel for? In closing, what is it for? It is for being transferred into Christ's kingdom, and it's for being transformed. The gospel is pardon for us, and the gospel is power in us. The gospel has done a good work in you, and the gospel is working good in you. The gospel is for getting to glory, and the gospel is for growing all the way. And that's why I submit to you and I say, thus says the Lord, there is more for you in Christ. Wherever you are, weak or strong, wherever you are in the course of the Christian life, there is more for you. There is gospel growth. Grace abounds. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, I pray that we would all experience this gospel growth. I pray, Father, that with Paul, we pray that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we might walk worthily of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to you. For you have in Christ qualified us for the inheritance of the saints in the light of Jesus' kingdom. Grow us. And change us by the power of the gospel, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.